everybody. Welcome back to Shannon's Lumber Industry Update. This is episode 44, and I'm calling this one Things All Woods Do. <laughs> Basically, I get uh, I get a lot of questions at the lumber yard, and a lot of folks who will usually write in or call in, and they start the sentence by saying, I know that, you know, pine, let's just use pine for an example. I know that pine will turn gray uh, out in the sun or out in the weather over time, but I'm looking for, uh, I'm looking to use oak and uh, will that also go gray over time? Or, you know, the next day someone will write in and say, uh, will walnut do that? Or will maple do that? And the fact of the matter is there's very little difference between the species and how wood will behave when it comes to certain things. And I kind of wanted to just throw the blanket statement out there that there are certain things that all woods will do despite the species given time and exposure. And it's important to understand the mechanisms behind these changes so you can see not only does it apply to every species, but it might apply in different rates and it might manifest slightly differently from one species to another. So let's just, what are we talking about here? All wood is going to turn gray or silver, if you want to be romantic about it, with exposure, exposure to the elements. All wood is going to change color after you mill it. In other words, when you mill it, the color that it is when it comes straight out of the planer is not going to be the color two weeks from now, sometimes minutes or hours from now. All wood will change color as it's exposed to the elements. And, and this is this is kind of like the same thing that turns it gray, but a little bit more immediate. It's all going to change color. All wood is going to check starting at the ends of the boards. This is not a defect. The board is splitting or falling apart or it's bad lumber. All wood will develop checks on the ends. All wood will develop little micro checks on the face when exposed to really harsh conditions like direct sunlight on one face. Again, not a defect and not even something you may need to worry about because it's liable to go away, you know, overnight. But all wood is going to do this. Now there may be varying intensities dependent upon the density of that wood, but every species is going to develop those little micro checks. And finally, and this kind of relates to all of the above with checking, all wood moves. I wrote a blog post on the J. Gibson McIlvain website years ago, probably back in 2012, entitled Wood Moves, Get Over It. There's just no way around it, folks. All wood is going to move. And I'm going to throw this out right now. I'm going to spend some time in a, in a future episode talking about wood movement. This is one of those things where oftentimes it doesn't get talked about because it's just assumed that people know this. And one of the biggest eye-openers I had when I moved into the commercial lumber industry was how many people didn't understand that wood moved. And, you know, coming into this world as a, uh, as a woodworking hobbyist, you know, when time isn't necessarily money, we spend a lot of time geeking out and obsessing over minutia, things like wood movement. In the commercial sector, there really wasn't time for that. Time is money, and a lot of people don't realize that wood moves. Or they do, but they think there's a way to stop it, or they don't fully understand it. So I will say, in the context of this episode, all wood moves and it never, ever, 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 ever stops moving. So in a future episode, I'm going to dive into that further because I think it's it's necessary to spend an entire episode talking about it. So I'm saying that now because I want your questions about wood movement. 
I've got a lot that I can say about wood movement, but I want to hear from you guys. This is one of those things where we all kind of understand that wood moves and maybe abstractly understand it or maybe understand it because someone told us but haven't really experienced it. So we can oftentimes, the more time, the more time you spend working wood, the more you kind of take this fact for granted. So I want to hear from you, lovely listeners, what are your questions about wood movement? What are your stories about wood movement? Let me hear some anecdotes where wood movement has bit you in the butt or wood movement has maybe not bitten you and maybe left you mystified. Like, why didn't this cause problems? And, and most of all, most of all, questions about wood movement, whether that relates to joinery, whether it relates to a species, whether it relates to the conditions is it in. Let me hear it. Kind of like when we spent some time over a couple of episodes talking about plywood and I finished up with a whole episode of plywood questions. I want your wood movement questions. So... In case you didn't get that, send in your wood movement questions. Go to lumberupdate.com. There's a form you can fill out there, or you can email me at lumberupdate at gmail.com with your questions about wood movement. You can hit me up on Instagram. I'm also lumberupdate there on Instagram. But as I said, lumberupdate.com, there's a form fill out. That's probably the, the most efficient way. It's probably the easiest way because they all drop in one uh, inbox for me. So our wood movement questions, folks, give them to me. So let's go back to the wood turns gray with exposure. A lot of people think that this only applies to some of the exterior woods that you see, some of the decking woods or siding woods. So they all think, oh, well, I understand that cedar is going to turn gray. I understand that pine is going to turn gray or Douglas fir is going to turn gray. Or even, you know, some of the tropical decking species like Ipe or Kumaru or Kambara or tiger wood. You know, oh, I, I know that's going to turn gray. But what about cherry? You know, I'm going to use cherry so it doesn't turn gray. I hear that a lot. I'm going to use walnut so I don't have to worry about it turning gray. Folks, every species turns gray with exposure to the elements. Now, what do I mean by that? Wind, rain, and sun. Really, it's the sun that's doing this. The um, chromophores are the compounds in the wood that actually that, that create the color. And as the UV comes down and beats down on those woods, it oxidizes, it breaks apart those chromophore compounds, and it takes away the, the color, essentially. This is grossly oversimplifying the, the chemistry that goes on here. But that's what bleaching does. That's what UV bleaching does. And just like you will see paint get faded over time due to the sun, that's what's happening to the wood here. It's fading into this silvery gray. It's removing those chromophores, breaking up those chromophores, and removing the color from the wood itself. Now, wind and rain will help speed this up. Wind and rain help to weather, help to cause the wood to to um, to to check, cause the wood to warp and deform, cause the wood to uh, um, dry. Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Prematurely, maybe not prematurely, but you get the idea. As wind blows across wood, it's sucking moisture off that wood, and it can really dry things out, which allows the UV to do its job more readily. Let's talk about this a little bit more from a species perspective. A lot of the tropical woods will hold their color a little bit longer than some of, say, like the, the um, temperate climate woods, the boreal forest woods and temperate forest woods, hardwood forest woods, because the jungle woods have a much, much higher oil content, higher resins and things like that, that kind of keeps the wood moist. It moisturizes it from the inside out. And that prevents the breakdown of those chromophores. It allows that wood to resist the UV just a little bit more because there's that, 
that coating of oil. I mean, what do we do when we're applying sunscreen? We're applying a barrier between our skins and the UV radiation. That barrier will eventually bake off, will wear off, and you have to apply it again. The oily nature of jungle woods is like that sunscreen over top of the wood, and it will prevent it from fading longer than it would if it wasn't there. If you took a tropical wood and a temperate wood and you wiped them both down with something like mineral spirits or naphtha and removed all that oil, they would essentially fade at the same rate, with the exception that the jungle wood is probably going to then um, re-emit, ooze, <laughs> ooze more oil, and it will put that protective barrier over the surface. Same thing when I want to protect my hand planes in my shop from rust, I will wipe them down at the end of the day with an oily rag. This leaves a micro thin layer of oil over top of the metal, and it prevents the oxygen from getting to the iron, the ferrous elements in that, in that sole of the hand plane, and prevents rusting, oxidization. That's the same thing that's going on with the jungle woods. There's that layer of oil that, that moisturizing from the inside out that's preventing that. But even that will eventually dry out. And that's where wind and rain can really do that. The rain is going to kind of dilute that oil and wash it away. The wind is going to dry out the oil as it blows across it. And that UV, relentless UV, is going to break up those chromophores and fade the wood eventually into a silvery gray. It does not matter the species. It's all going to happen when exposed to UV. Now, you may say, well, you know, I've got a table in my house that is in a window and it's not going gray. Well, no. Well, actually, yes, it is. It's just going to take a hell of a lot longer because it's not in direct sunlight. It's behind glass and glass to a certain respect is going to be UV inhibiting. Some glass is entirely UV inhibiting, depending upon whether it's UVA, B or C and all those fun little variations. It's not getting direct exposure to the sun. Moreover, it doesn't have the additional elements of the wind and the rain that are helping to speed up and to dry out that particular wood. But if you take an area rug, you've got hardwood floors, and you look at the hardwood floors, and then you pull back the area rug, and you see the color that's underneath the area rug and the color that was exposed to just the daylight coming through the windows, you will see that dramatic color change. And you will see that that wood is starting to change color and would eventually turn gray. Now, I don't know how many years it's going to take, you know, inside, plus inside a lot of times on flooring, you've got heavy layers of polyurethane over top. And polyurethane is going to have particulates in it, which is going to help inhibit that color change. So when you're talking about exterior finishes, a lot of times spar varnish comes up. Spar varnish is just a, a, a varnish that has a higher solid content. There's more stuff in the way that can reflect and bounce those UVs away um, or even absorb the UVs before it actually gets to the wood. And it prevents that wood from changing color as rapidly as if that barrier of particulates and resin wasn't in the way. But a raw wood with no finish on it uh, exposed to the elements is gonna gray a lot faster. Again, doesn't matter, it's all gonna do it. You might see some variation based upon that resin and that oil content. Highly resinous woods will resist uh, UV a little bit more. But the other thing that resins do is resist rot and decay because frankly, it makes the wood taste bad. So the bugs aren't gonna wanna eat it because it doesn't taste very good and they leave it alone. That is also going to slow down that UV process because there's not, you know, bugs in there eating it up and, and exposing more ingrain, which can dry things out. It's, it's, all, it's all a mixture of things, which is why we say exposure to the elements. UV is the big one. UV is the one that's actually doing it. But those other elements like insects and wind and rain do help the UVA 
uh, UV rays kind of get a foothold and dry out and fade that wood a lot more. But again, every wood species is going to do this given time. As I said, there are ways to defray that by applying a finish. If you have an Ipe deck and you want to keep that red-brown color, well, then you need to reapply a finish probably once a year. First of all, anybody who says there's anything as a maintenance-free Ipe or a maintenance-free deck of any species is lying. It just doesn't happen. Even a lot of the composites will fade over time. Now they've gotten a lot better at being color fast, um, but there's been a you know 10, 15, 20, 30 years of chemical engineering and research that's gone in to make these things more color fast. Wood, it's not all that color fast. It is going to change over time. As it begins to gray, you can apply like a brightener to the surface, which is usually a bleach-based brightener, which can break up the um, the dirt and the grime and the existing kind of gray chromophores on the surface and, and re-inject color by cleaning it off and oxidizing the surface. You're going to get a fresh layer that will that will expose, or excuse me, will... will um, yeah, essentially uh, um, scuff away the chromophores that have, for lack of a better term, we call them expired, that have been broken up by the UV and exposed new color. Applying a finish over top of that will soak in and give you that nice rich color again. Or you just apply an, an oil or a deck finish before the graying starts to get too bad. Here again, you're applying that barrier of oil, like when I talked about with that hand plane, where you're wiping on that layer of oil, that micro layer of oil between the air and the, and the iron, it will prevent the rust. This layer of varnish or oil, preferably oil on a deck, is going to slow down that UV and kind of hit the reset button by applying a new layer over top of it. Same thing I'm talking about with jungle woods, having that internal moisturizer, that extra oil that's inherent in the wood itself is going to slow that down. Point is, it's not stopping it, it's slowing it down. And eventually that oil is going to wear off through wind, rain, and UV, and you're going to have to apply it again, or that deck or that siding is going to go gray. Now, here's the other thing. There's something to be said about wood that does actually go gray. Once it has grayed out, it does become, I don't want to say inert, because certainly, as I said before, wood will continually move, but there's not really a lot of chemical changes going on. The UV has done its work. It's bombarded. It's broken up those chromophores. It's dried out the wood, and there's not really massive changes going on. So in a lot of ways, letting that wood go gray can be a good thing because it now is, is a lot more stable than it was when it's in flux, when that color is being broken away and changed away. And, you know, a lot of people say, I like that silvery gray color. I myself am that in what way. I kind of like that look when it comes to outdoor furniture. Fact of the matter is, <laughs> it just means we're lazy. <laughs> we just don't feel like doing maintenance and applying another coat of oil. I'm going to let it go gray because I like the look of that, aka I don't want to apply another coat of oil. That's ridiculous. So again, it's all going to turn gray, folks. It does not matter the species. Now, in the same vein as this color change, if you've ever taken uh, a roughs on board, let's use cherry as an example because that can be particularly um, stark contrast. You know, that cherry, that roughs on board of cherry is kind of a nice brown with a hint of red in there. It's a deep brown color with a little bit of red tone in it. You run it through a planer and that sucker comes out pink with very little brown, kind of a creamy pink color. 
very, very, very light. And it really shocks people the first time they see a freshly milled board of cherry. But if you take that same board of cherry and stick it in the sun for a couple of hours, that brown color is going to come back. In fact, most of the furniture that I build with cherry, I will stick it out in the sun for three or four hours and give it a suntan before I apply a coat of finish. And that kind of jump starts that oxidization process to, to change that color before I apply the oil and I get a deeper, richer color in it. This is similar to what's going on with the UV, but it's kind of from the inside out rather from the outside in. If the UV light is coming in and bombarding it from the outside and breaking up those chromophores, the chemical transformation, the chemical reaction that's occurring when you mill a board, you're exposing fresh uh, wood fibers. There's going to be a moisture differential on those new wood fibers, but there's also extractives in the wood. These are the things, um, they're called extractives generally, and that comes from things like when we actually extract these things. Palm oil is a key extractive. Maple syrup is a key extractive. Walnut oil, tongue oil, all of the oils that you can pull out of the wood to make a separate product, those are extractives. Well, all woods have extractives. Uh, tannins are an extractive and tannins cause a lot of changes. They also cause those deep uh, black rust marks and like ferrous nails and things like that when you stick them in oak. They also create wonderful things like whiskey and wine. The, the tannins in oak is what is essential for making things like whiskey uh, and essential for the aging of fine wines. All of these things, these chemical um, compounds inside the wood are causing a chemical reaction when the wood is first freshly milled. Those compounds are exposed to the oxygen, exposed to the air, and the chemical reaction occurs and it causes the color change. This is what causes cherry to go from light pink to that darker brown color. In other extreme examples, usually when we're talking about tropical woods, where you have a lot of extractives, a high oil content, um, high silica contents and things like that can cause dramatic changes. Teak is the one that always comes to mind because it freaks people out. Teak is very, very expensive. And people think of teak and they think of that lovely honey brown color. And then they mill and it comes out gray and green and kind of peach and and colors all over the place and super, super streaky. And you're like, what the hell? I just paid, you know, $700 a board foot for this. And now it looks like crap. And the number of phone calls we get from people like you sold us bad teak. And it's like, take a deep breath, put it in the sun, come back tomorrow and call me then. It's like, they call you the next day. Like, Hey, all the color went away. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty crazy. Um, we've actually done, this is a service to a lot of our customers at McIlvain where uh, we will actually mill the lumber, mill the teak to whatever spec, stick it out on the roof to sun um, so that it even out the color and then ship it because the color can go nuts on teak. I've actually done a video over at McIlvain about this. Uh, showing kind of a time lapse of some teak that was laid out on the sun. You can also speed this up using compounds like bleach that will oxidize those chlorine. Chlorine compounds will help break up those chromophores and get rid of that streaking. And you get this dramatic streaking multicolored look that suddenly blends into this lovely honey brown color. That happens with a lot of, of um, tropical woods. Ipe is another one. When you freshly mill that stuff, it can be all kinds of crazy greens and oranges. Cocobolo, I love Cocobolo. When you turn it, it's like it's like watching a light show. <laughs> the stuff just is changing color right before your eyes. Some of the woods, like teak, you can see a color change within minutes, five minutes or so. 
Um, I've got another post on the McIlvain blog where actually a friend of mine, John Shapansky, um, here in Maryland, um, had, had milled a piece of teak and he stuck some washers on it and put it out in the sun and measured the change for like five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, and dramatic color changes over the course of just 15 minutes. Same thing can actually happen to cherry. Oak does the same thing. Maple, believe it or not. You firstly mill maple and it's really, really white. Give it some time to oxidize and that's going to turn into more of a tan color. In general, these woods will always darken first. They will deepen and kind of mellow in color. So there's, there's that deepening of the color. Cherry going from kind of a pink into a brownish red. But then they also mellow out. The variations you see streaking in the wood, mineral streaking, various colors and things like that will start to lessen. They'll become less garish and they'll start to blend together as those chromophores break up. As the oil distributes and begins to oxidize, you will see that color change happen. Purple heart, great example bright, 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 bright purple when it's freshly milled, and then it turns into this kind of brownish red over time. Just like when wood goes gray, there are ways to slow that down. Applying a finish can help with that. You're going to lock the wood off from the oxygen that's causing these chemical compounds, or excuse me, chemical reactions that cause that color change. Applying a coat of finish, a film forming finish, not necessarily a penetrating finish. A penetrating oil will help um, retard the, the, the color change a little bit, but an actual film finish that's going to block, provide a physical barrier between the wood and the oxygen that's causing these chemical reactions will help slow that down. But, you know, unless you're encasing the wood in like an epoxy, you're not going to stop it. And actually, you know, unless that epoxy is 100% UV resistant, you're not going to stop it either. So, you know, it's, it's always going to happen. You certainly can, can just like with um, preventing the gray, you can periodically reapply a finish in order to keep that color from happening, uh, the color change from happening. But really, in most instances, it's a preferable thing to see that color change happen. You go from streaky teak to lovely golden brown to kind of pink, weak-looking cherry to a nice, deep, rich red-brown. Yeah, definitely. Walnut is another example. Freshly milled walnut is crazy. Green, orange browns, um, light browns, purples, grays, all that stuff that will dramatically change color and, and kind of mellow out. The colors begin to blend a little bit more. In some ways, the process of steaming walnut, which I talked about in a previous episode, and this chromophore breakdown, this chemical reaction that we're talking about is very similar. Injecting steam into the wood kind of gets those extractives flowing and it allows the, those extractives that may be heavily concentrated in the heartwood to begin to flow into the sapwood. And it blends that color transformation from cream to dark brown by just pushing those extractives into the, the sapwood where there are no extractives. It helps to blend them out. So if you took vanilla pudding and chocolate pudding, <laughs> am I hungry? I don't know. And you put this into a bowl and you mix it, you get that really cool swirly look. Well, the more you mix that, the more you're just going to get a homogenous color. You get what, tan? <laughs> Turns to butterscotch pudding at that point. Um, this is what's going on when the steam is injected into the walnut. It's forcing those extractives to kind of mix around and swirl around until you don't get the streaking anymore and you just get more of a, of a blended color. And in some cases, to the negative, people will say, you know, an ugly color because the streaks and the different colors and the, and the character that is in unsteamed walnut can be really, really beautiful. Whereas the kind of homogenized mixed up stuff may not be as beautiful. 
beauty's in the eye of the beholder, right? So that again can help explain some of the stuff that's going on. But again, every wood, this is gonna happen to every single wood. So moving away from the whole color change, let's talk a little bit about this checking. And this is starting to blend or, or move into the wood movement thing. And as I said, I'm not gonna go into the mechanisms that cause wood movement. That's for a future episode. Send me your questions. Just another reminder there. Um, checking is, you know, it, it's tough because checking can be a sign that the wood maybe wasn't dried properly. Maybe it was dried too fast. Um, but it's also a perfectly natural thing to happen. You know, wood is just a bundle of straws and it's going to lose moisture fastest from the ends of the board, the ends of those straws. That's where the exchange of moist air and dry air is happening most rapidly. Therefore, the greatest movement, shrinkage and expansion is happening right there at the end of the board. Whereas the center of the board is, is, is not moving as fast. So the board at the end is going to develop cracks in the end. It's going to check and it's going to split. Most boards, when they come out of a kiln, are going to be heavily checked on the end, which is why, at least at our yard, I can't speak for everybody, but this is pretty common practice, when wood comes out of a dry kiln, it's then sent through a saw. Um, in our case, we have a, a stacker that has two saw blades on either end, and you can adjust the actual length of the board. So those circular saw blades are set at, say, 12 feet apart or 15 feet apart, and you're running that board through, and it's cutting both ends at the same time, and you're getting a uniform 15 foot board or 12 foot board. And every board that runs through that saw comes out the other side 12 feet long. It's helpful from an inventory perspective, but it's also removing the checks that occurred in the kiln. Now, once those ends are cut, there's every possibility that those checks are going to occur again. Because what you've done is just expose fibers further into the length of the board that may be wetter than the fibers on the end. So what we do is we seal those ends. And people have heard of anchor seal. Sometimes just latex paint is used. If you buy lumber, a lot of times you will see the ends are kind of white or they're painted a different color. And that's that, that um, coat of whatever. In this case, it can be latex or it can be a wax base. Just like you're applying the oil to the hand plane or the oil to the decking to prevent the UV, this is a film finish or film forming product that's put over the end that's slowing down the exchange of moisture. The movement is still happening, but it's not happening as rapidly, and it's allowing the wood to kind of flex and, and, and relax into that moisture exchange so it's not more violent, causing the cracks and the checks. But if you didn't seal that, if you didn't put anchor seal on the end, or you know that's a brand name product, but any kind of sealant on the end, that checking is going to occur. Now, if the checking still occurs when the sealant is on the end, that's not necessarily a bad thing either, but could also be an indication that the wood maybe wasn't dried enough. It wasn't dried thoroughly. So the interior of the board is still a little bit more moist and that's going to happen. It's the release of tension that's happening in there. Now, as you start to see dramatic checking happening like you know, all over the end of the board, that's gonna show a much larger moisture di moisture differential that's in play, a greater amount of moisture um, change. And as the board's trying to come into equilibrium because it's dumping more and more moisture, that's gonna, you're gonna see a lot more checking. Every board's gonna do that. Now the boards with a higher density may be more prone to this because there's less 
dead air in the board. There's less room for it to kind of relax and fletch, uh, flex and stretch and ease into that moisture transfer. Whereas a wood that has large pores, that has a lot of pores, um, has pores in neatly ordered rings, like a ring porous wood like oak or paloina or, or ash or hickory or something, they are going to have that dead air that the board can stretch, stretch and relax into and prevent the checking. There's a lot more give in a board like that. So the higher density boards like maple or any of your tropical woods are going to exhibit checking quicker, more readily, when there is a moisture differential. So the, the rule there is you really wanna seal those boards up quickly because they will begin to check much more dramatically. The other thing, the flip side of this, however, is because they don't have a lot of pores, because they are quite dense, the checks, while there may be a lot of them, they tend to be a lot smaller and they tend to also be kind of skin deep. So in many instances, if a board begins to check and then you apply sealant over it, a lot of times those checks will actually close up on their own. The lower density woods, when they begin to check, there's been a lot of change that's gone on to cause that. Because there's that kind of relaxation buffer, that dead air buffer that allows the wood to not check right away, once it actually does check, there's been a significant amount of movement, a significant moisture exchange that's caused that check, and generally that check will be larger just a full-blown crack or split down the end, and that can be a problem. That's not gonna close up on its own. That needs to be cut off and stopped before it starts to run down the entire length of the board. So if it's not sealed and it's not trimmed, there is a possibility that a check in a ring porous wood could actually turn into a riven board that has self-riven itself right down the middle or down on the edge as the check has run out of control. Because every time that crack expands a little bit more, it's exposing, exposing fresh fibers to the oxygen, to the air, and it's causing that more moisture exchange to happen further and further down the length of the board. And eventually it's just gonna pop itself in half. And if you take a board and you leave it out in the sun and you're getting a lot of that moisture um, uh, uh, evaporation happening over a quick uh, time period because the sun is beating down on it, you can actually see a board rive itself. It's very nice. If you're too lazy to ride boards, stick them out in the sun. <laughs> it's totally out of control. It's going to warp and twist like crazy, but it will ride itself eventually. You're not going to tend to find that with the denser woods because the checks are really quite small there. But here again, every board's going to do that. It's not a defect. It can be, as I said, can be a sign that that board needs to be dried some more. But even if the board has been dried properly, it's going to develop checks. It's up to us to account for that trim those ends off or plan that into your project when it comes to, you know, I bought an eight foot board and I only need six feet uh, because I plan to trim eight to 10 inches off the end of each board in order to eliminate those checks. At the same time, the little micro checking, little micro cracks that you will see on the face of the board are caused by the same mechanism. Now, the wood is not exchanging moisture quickly in the middle of the board or on the face. As we said, that's happening on the ends. So those little checks on the surface, that is uneven exposure. If you've taken a board, especially if it's been freshly milled and it's it's exposed moisture fibers, moisture, I keep saying there's a lot of people who hate that word, right? They're gonna love this episode. Those fibers are damper. <laughs> there we go. And say you put it out in the sun. Well, the sun is now beating down on it and it's baking that board and it's rapidly drying out that board. Well, the other side that's facing down that's in the shade is not getting that baking treatment and it's not moving as fast. It's not 
dumping moisture like the top of the board. So as that board begins to shrink on the top, it's going to have these little checks that open because those fibers are shrinking together, but the underside of the board is staying kind of plump and it's preventing the, the whole board contracting as a whole and the, the little checks begin to open up to release tension between those fibers on the top. The interesting thing about this, if you were to take that board out of the sun and put it back in the shade, those checks will probably disappear in a matter of minutes. Here again, the denser the species, the more readily you will see this, the quicker you will see this happen, because there again, there's no dead air. There's no place for the wood to relax into, so these checks will begin to open almost immediately. Take a dense decking wood like Ipe or Krumaru, stick it in the sun, and those checks are gonna happen. And I bring this up because what happens to a deck? It gets stuck in the sun. There is no harsher treatment of wood than decking. Half the board is constantly in the shade, half the board is usually constantly in the sun, or if not always in the sun, it's in the sun for large periods of time. It's got exposure to the wind and the rain and the sun, and the underside, nope, less airflow, no sunlight, usually a lot damper underneath, depending upon ventilation. It's like the worst thing you could do to a board. So if you walk out on your deck in the middle of a July afternoon and it's bright and sunny, you're gonna see little tiny surface checks on the board. Come back at eight o'clock that night, those surface checks will probably be gone. And this is this is like the wood breathing. It's like stepping into a sauna. Oh, it's great for you because it opens your pores and it causes your, you know, because all the your, your body is sweating and it's great for your skin and blah, blah, blah. Think of it that way. It's good for your wood. <laughs> it's, it's allowing those checks to open up and allowing that um, tension in the board due to the moisture differential, it's letting it release without causing you know, buckling and severe cracking and splitting to the board. Those little checks are that steam valve. That's a good way to think of it. The steam valve to, to release some of the tension due to the uneven uh, drying from the shade on the underside and the sun on the top. All species do this, but they're going to do it to varying degrees dependent upon their density, dependent upon their pore structure, things like that. But take any board, especially a freshly milled board that's already in flux, stick it in direct sunlight and you're going to see surface checks on the board. If there's enough moisture differential going on, like you have a green board that you've stuck in the sun, you can actually see those checks go crazy and turn into full-on splits. So something, something to think about. So that leads me into the next point and the point that I'll, I'll kind of leave it here because I want to go into the next episode with this. It's going to move. Wood moves no matter what. It's always going to move. It's never going to stop moving. I hear all the time people say, well, this is reclaimed timber and it's been in a barn for 40 some years. Like that means it's going to stop moving. It's still moving, folks. It's just coming to equilibrium with the environment. But if you've taken that reclaimed barn wood and you've made it into a coffee table and taken it into your house or shipped it across the country to a different climate, it's going to move. It's definitely going to move. Um, it it's never, ever going to stop moving. There's nothing you can do to stop it from moving, no matter how much you try to seal it. And I actually hate that word. You hear people, there are a lot of products out on the market, finished products that call themselves sealers or sealants. And it gives you this idea that we're sealing off the wood and preventing it from moving. It's not going to happen. There's no such thing as stopping wood from moving. So next time, I'm going to talk about wood movement and explain the science behind it, explain not only how every single species of wood is going to move, but how 
different species will vary, and we'll talk about the different types of movement, tangential and radial and longitudinal movement. Because, spoiler alert folks, wood is anisotropic. It means it does not move evenly in all directions. Here's another thing that a lot of people think they know, but maybe they don't fully understand it. So I'm going to cut this episode a little bit short because I don't want to go too much into wood movement without having a bunch of your questions. So whether it's the next episode or a couple episodes from now, I want some time for some questions to come in for people to listen to this episode, hear that little announcement, submit your questions. And at some point in the next couple of shows, we will dedicate entirely to wood movement. So thank you everybody for listening. Thank you for, for, giving me the inspiration, <laughs> everybody who emails me, uh, both of the Renaissance Woodworker at, at McIlvain, all the questions I get about wood inspire a show like this because some people don't realize that it's wood, folks, and it's all going to act like wood, no matter the species. So if you can think of other examples where there are things that every species of wood is going to do, let me know. Send in, send in a question, send in a comment. I'd love to hear it, and I certainly will share it on a future episode. But for now, go to Lumber Update lumberupdate.com or lumberupdate at gmail.com. Send me a question about wood movement or send me a comment about wood movement for our next wood movement show. Between now and then, folks, thank you for listening. Thank you to my patrons who sponsor the show and make this possible. Go buy some lumber.